The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm your host for the next hour. So thrilled to be here with you on this wonderful Wednesday morning. There might be some of you who are tuning in and are like, it's Wednesday. That means it's Ask Dr. Doreen. And I apologize if you didn't get the memo, but Dr. Doreen has moved to Tuesday. And so now it is pure autism live on Wednesday. But oh my goodness, have we got a great expert coming up for you in just a little while uh, later on today. You won't want to miss that. So uh, stick around because it promises to be very fun. Uh, So thank you for being here. Becca, hello again thrilled that you are here with us. So we, uh, and Amanda's got her blue hearts. We're, we're off to a really good start here. I just wanted to remind you, we are live right now. It is Wednesday, the 12th of January. I started to say December, but it's January 2022. Yes, this is what happens when you're having fun. Time marches on. Uh, and we are live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. And Traven will, will start to show you what some of those other places are where we are live. Uh, I will tell you that when we're live, we really love the interaction that comes with being live, like talking to Becca and to Amanda. If you want to be a part of that, you certainly can. It's easiest when you're on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, because you can write directly in on those platforms. And I'm able to see it here in relatively real time right? Um, and uh, you, you can always reach me at Shannon at autism-live.com. I'm still there and you can always send me a longer email there. Parker um, says, I forgot to ask this, but will there be, will there be a show on Friday? There is a show on Friday, um, but Friday is, we're sort of moving our best of to Friday because we're We're making room in our schedule because eventually in April, Friday is the day that is slotted to start our new show, which is called Stories from the Spectrum. That's the new show that we're we're starting where it will be all content that is by and for neurodivergent individuals. So... Um, I, I mean, I think this is a thing that we've wanted for the longest time and you guys have been asking for the longest time is, you know, if you're doing shows about autism, you know, where's a show that's purely somebody who is on the spectrum or identifies as neurodivergent? That's what's Friday is going to be moving towards. But in the meantime, uh, we're playing best ofs and that's where we're putting, you know, we like to regularly show Temple Grandin because we think that it's a thing that should be shown on a regular basis. So um, for, for right now, that is what Fridays will be. It's sort of the rerun day, but it's the best of, right? So there won't be live shows on Friday unless we have a special guest. And sometimes we will interrupt and say, hey, we're going to do a, a special live show on a Friday for a specific event. I do want to tease that on Monday, we are going to, uh, if all works out, um, Monday uh, is Martin Luther King Day. And so we're going to be pre-recording our show for Monday. Normally it would be a live show. We're going to be pre-recording it, but it's a very special guest for the first time on the show. Thomas McKeon, we're scheduled, we haven't taped yet, so I don't want to promise anything, but we're scheduled to tape with him. An amazing self-advocate that we've never had on the show before. So I'm super excited about that, that uh, we're set to pre-tape that on Friday and air that on Monday. So excited about that. Um, but that's sort of the new schedule. So today, regular Autism Live with an amazing guest, Dr. Justin Leaf is going to be joining us in just a few minutes. He's been on the show before. Uh, we just really respect and admire him. And, and so he's going to be here talking about specifically a bunch of things. He He's going to join us from the Autism Partnership Foundation and the RBT training that they have and how it is available to people in the community. Because you guys ask a lot about how can we find out more, like where can we go to consume information so that we can know more about the things that are being talked about here? Like how do you facilitate learning for someone who is on the autism spectrum? 
Um, and how do you go about that compassionately? And how do you learn the things? Because nobody was teaching this in high school uh, when I was there. Nobody, you know, and unless you signed up for a class in college, uh, you weren't learning it. And I don't know about you, when my son was diagnosed with autism, I know I already had a master's degree and I had no time to go back to school. I needed to learn it right then, right then. And um, so Justin Lee, Dr. Leaf is going to talk with us about a program that they have that, to help you to learn from home some of the things that we talk about here on the show. Uh, Becca, I cannot wait. I'm so glad you're here this morning because wait until you see what the jargon of the day is. I'm so excited that you're here because I think I think we're going to uh, have a meeting of the minds here. I think it's going to be really exciting. So um, in any case, um, that's what's going on today. So Dr. Leaf will be with us in just a minute. I have a couple of uh, business things, then we're going to get to the jargon of the day. Uh, always like to remind you guys here, we have lovely experts that are here on the show. Don't mistake me for one of the experts. Mistake me for somebody who uh, is trying every day to be a positive ally for the autism community at large. And when I say autism community, I'm talking about first individuals who are on the spectrum, and then all the people who love Love them and want to help them to have all the rights and opportunities that they deserve and should have anyway. Um, but that we have to keep, you know, plugging for those things to happen. So um, that's, that's my disclaimer, but I am someone who is an extremely proud mother of someone who was diagnosed with autism when he was a child. And that is why it is important to me. That is how I came into this community. Um, and, and it sort of starts and stops there. My son is now an adult and is doing remarkably because my son had access to good things that, and good teaching methods that helped him. Um, and, and so that is the place from which I'm always coming, but I always want to remind you and, and myself, this is not a one size fits all community. What is great for one person may not be appropriate for another person. And we always have to leave room for that. So I invite you to be here with me and, you know, elevate the conversation to try to figure out how can we best serve and, and accept and endorse and embrace a community of people who are all different, right? Um, and who may require different supports. So that's where we're coming from. Okay, having said all of that, then uh, let's move joyfully to what we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani, nani are the experts talking about? And how is this helpful and useful to us? So I, I think that this might be the first time that we are using this particular jargon term because because this jargon term, I always want to go to a different jargon term, but, but it's time. We need to at least uh, de define what it is that we're talking about. So our jargon term for the day is stimming. Like how amazing is that, Becca? I'm so glad you're on board for today. So, um, and keep in mind that when we give you a jargon term, what we typically like to do is first give you the actual definition that we got from some, you know, whether it's a book or Wikipedia or whatever. And then we try to give you a working definition that helps us to really understand what it is. So we'll, we'll, let's launch right into where is the controversy here. So let's look at our actual definition for stimming, shall we, Traven? Stimming. And this is the Merriam-Webster definition. So let's, let's put that into some context, right? Merriam-Webster says stimming is a self-stimulatory behavior that is marked by a rep repetitive action or movement of the body, such as repeating, repeatedly tapping on objects or the ears, snapping the fingers, blinking eyes, rocking from side to side or grunting, and is typically associated with certain conditions such as autism spectrum disorder. This is how Merriam-Webster is defining it. Now, I'm going to cry uh, El Toro Pupu on this in a second, but I want you to know that this is how Merriam-Webster is defining it, because this is part of what we have to um, overcome. Let's, let's go to um, what Autism Live is defining it for our purposes when we're talking about it. So take a look at our action. It's a coping strategy that should not be stigmatized. Hello, can I get an amen? Can anyone, <laughs> raising of hands. Um, so here's what I want people to understand is that 
the reason why we've never done the term stimming before is because it's a misnomer out the gate. This whole self-stimulatory thing. A lot of times when people are talking about stimming and they're looking at the behavior, it's not always self-stimulatory. Sometimes it's self-soothing. Sometimes a stim is something that is keeping someone stimulated enough to be present, but sometimes it's helping them to cope with the overwhelm. So I don't like the term stimming to begin with, but I understand and recognize that it's a term that is used so frequently and so interchangeably for so much behavior that I feel like we have to address it. But I believe, like a lot of behaviorists, that you know behavior is there for a reason. And, and that we have to figure out what the function of a behavior is. And so if we really want to talk about stimming, let's talk about what the function of the behavior is. And it's different for different people on different things. But if you try to sell to me that, um, that this idea is that it's only going to be with something that comes as a disorder... I'm going to cry El Toro poo-poo because absolutely every single one of us does things that are automatically reinforcing, which is the correct term, um, or the self-stimulatory. We all do these things. It is not a disorder. However, if we are only able to do the behavior and not able to do things that we want to do, then I would categorize that as being something that as a part of a disorder. But I wouldn't want to stigmatize that. And I I would never just carte blanche say, well, we need to eliminate that. If I'm someone, for instance, I'm just going to take this to a whole other realm. Um, Let's say that I say to you, um, I really like to eat ice cream. Ice cream is something that I do when I, when I'm upset. It is how I cope with when I am upset. Now you and I could have a conversation about that and you could say to me, you know, eating ice cream is maybe not the most productive thing to do while you're upset. Maybe there's a different thing that we could find for you to do and we could have that conversation, but I'm not really, you know, if I'm, if I just am occasionally upset and I'm just occasionally eating ice cream, then am I hurting anybody? Is it really something that has to be addressed? Right. But if all I can ever eat is ice cream and I am incapable of eating anything else, and I am incapable of dealing with my feelings that lead me to only eat ice cream, then I might feel that it's something that needs to be addressed. And if I then became diabetic because all I was eating was ice cream, it's certainly my doctor would say, we might need to address this because now, Shannon, you're not able to go and do the things that you want to do because your health is deteriorating, right? But it would still be based on things that that are important to me. It's like things can get wonkinator. And if we're really looking at it through the view of what is important to this person and what do they want to do, then I think we can have a healthier look at, you know, is what they're doing something that is helping them or is it something that's hurting them? And I think that it's important that the person and what their needs and their wants are be taken into consideration. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think about the the boy a couple of years ago who was in Texas and his particular stim, and this is the jargon, how it's used, is that he has a piece of string and he goes like this with a piece of string and that helps to calm him. There's nothing wrong with that. We need to stop acting like that's the end of the world. If going like that with a string is what helps him to calm himself when he needs to calm himself, no one should look at that and go, that is wrong. Okay. But if that young man is in a classroom and he is really wanting to learn how to, I I don't know, use a Bunsen burner. Let's say that he's in seventh grade science and he really, he gets excited by a science experiment and he wants to be a part of it. He wants to do the thing. Then going like this with a string, he has to be able to pause that long enough to be able to do the Bunsen burner, right? So there are times when it is appropriate to intervene on um, something that we call this self-stimulatory behavior so that we have it be contextually something that is beneficial to the person. And I really want to be a part of a conversation when that's where that's how we're looking at stimming. Is, is this behavior something... Now, 
you get into all kinds of gray area here because you'll have all kinds of people saying, well, doing this is socially stigmatizing because the other kids will make fun of him. I'm in the school of thought of, well, we need to work on that with the other kids. Right. But because, you know, how about we parent those kids and say, get over yourself because those kids are sitting there and doing other things too. They're clicking a pen or bouncing their foot or whatever. And we're not sitting there saying, hey, stop those kids from doing that. We all have to be automatons and statues and nobody can have any coping skills. Um, So this, it's a tough conversation to have, but I think if, if we could all put down our pitchforks for a second and just talk about individuals and behaviors and what does how does this behavior function for the person and if it is a coping strategy for the person is it the most productive coping strategy that they could use and is it preventing them from being able to do things that they want to be able to do so if we can look at that and go you know it's not really preventing them if it's just socially stigmatizing i think it has to be weighed like how reasonably could because I think eventually by the time people are adults, they should be able to allow other people to do other things. I always go back to the example about um, two seasons ago on Big Brother, uh, one of the contestants was openly on the spectrum and would sit and rock. And there were two adult women and one adult male in the group who just would go on and on about, it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous. And the hilarious not hilarious, um, but, you know, a very deeply ironic thing was that while they were sitting talking about, well, you know, it just, it just makes me nervous. They were rocking. And, and I just wanted somebody to sit down and say to them, how about you be a human being? You are rocking. How about if we tell, tell you we're uncomfortable with you rocking, it would not be kind. It would not be right. Can we please get to the point where we are not stigmatizing these behaviors? And can we please get to the point where we are talking about this with people who are who don't have what is t- deemed a disorder about them being more accepting of other people and not stigmatizing it? However, I also am concerned when I when I meet parents who say, "Well, you know, uh, my child stims by hitting themselves in the head." And so that's who they are and that's what calms them down. And we're just going to let that be. Well, no, because they're trying to fulfill a need and they're doing it the best way that they possibly can. But that way is hurting themselves. We would never leave that alone. Right. Um, and, and I think that there, that's an extreme example, but there's all kinds of things in between. My son hand flapped and listen, I don't have, I, I did what I encourage all parents to do. If your child does a stim, sit down and do that stim for yourself, not with them because they'll think that you might, they might think you're making fun of them, but go in your room and do their stim and see what it is about it. I have a dear friend whose son splashes water and we went in and splashed water. And I was like, man, it's so colorful. You can see the rainbow when you're splashing water, like get in there, try the thing so that you be, you have a beginning understanding. You may never fully understand it, but, but take a look at what the thing is, figure out what the function is. Ask yourself, is it preventing them from doing things that they really want to do? And then talk with behaviorists that are really good at this to help to find a replacement for it. Let's not just eliminate this kind of behavior. Let's find the most functional behavior that doesn't prevent them from meeting the goals that are important to them. This is my soapbox about stimming. So uh, how do we do, Becca? Are we on the same page or, or am I in no man's land? Um, yes, uh, Parker uh, asked the question, can certain stimming be self-injurious? Of course, of course. Um, and, and that we don't want right? Um, okay. So, um, I'm going to move on from this cause I want to get to Dr. Leaf, uh, who is the expert in all these things, but in any case, uh, that's, that's our talk on stimming for today, but Becca, I want to know how'd I do? Are, are we on the same page? Cause I want to know, but, uh, moving on, we always have a question of the day for you guys. And our question today, dun, da, da, da. it all starts to make sense, right? When you see the question, how do you stim? 
because the presumption is here. And I believe this to be very true. All of us have things that we do. I'm sitting here right now and I've got pants on, but I have pulled my pants up so that my lower legs are exposed, which is something that I do when I'm on camera and I'm nervous. And if you've ever been in studio with me, you'll see me like I get hepped up about something and I, and I pull my pant legs up to my knees. You know, I'm sure that there are people who are like, my goodness, what is she doing? But that is a behavior that I do that helps me to regulate myself. Um, We all engage in these kinds of behaviors. So I think that first we begin to acknowledge that and, and start to understand what it really is. Then we can look with acceptance on other people. But then third, we can intervene when it's necessary, when it's appropriate, but we will intervene in a proper way. We won't just willy nilly be like, okay, well, I'm asking you to behave this way because it's what's comfortable for me. That's not the ticket. By the way, you know, ABA gets a bad rap that that's what it's doing. I don't, I'm sure that there are ABA people out there who, you know, you know, we're just not going to say that everybody does good ABA, but people who do good ABA do this mindfully. First, the first thing that they do is look at what the function of the behavior is. And the second thing that they do is look to see what's a more functional thing for the behavior. And the third thing that they do is that they find a replacement behavior that is the, and, and put it in and teach that. Um, so, you know, that is the way that it, uh, these kinds of behaviors are appropriately intervened upon after you've evaluated, is it necessary? Al, Alvatina is scratching their head. I want to know why. Is this confusing? Um, there's all kinds of behaviors that we do that help us to, you know, be present and to cope and to be in the moment. Um, but if you're doing it repetitively, these are the kinds of things that we talk about. Uh, so hopefully, Alvatina, did you write in more? Okay, I'm going to pause on that for a second. Let's move on to our topic for the week. Uh, which we've been talking about all week long. It's only Wednesday. I love Kimberly says, ABA worked wonders for my son. Absolutely. And Becca says, we all stim. Amen to that. But this is our topic for the week that, um, you know, we're trying to come from this place, which is talking about this ability, not disability, this ability. And I told the big story on Monday about my mom, I only, I only was raised this way. I don't know any other way. It's fascinating to people, to me that people don't think this way. Um, but this is how I was raised by a woman who, by anybody else's standards, they would have said that she had a physical disability, but my mother did not participate in that. My mother just said, I do things a little bit differently. And my mother was a superhero. Um, so I only was ever raised from, from this. I'm in my, as I'm entering my old age, uh, as I'm about to enter my old age, I don't count old age yet. I, I, I'm like, oh, you mean everybody doesn't think this way? So I am going to get on my soapbox from time to time and ask for all of us to become an army to talk about this. This ability, not disability. We do have to um, give credit to Howie Mandel. He's the person who said this. Albertina clarified and she said it feels good and helps to focus. Well, sometimes that's the function of a stim. Sometimes it's because it feels good. Sometimes it's something that creates pain to take other pain away. Sometimes it helps you to focus. Sometimes it helps you to calm down. Sometimes, you know, there's all different functions. And, and the basis of ABA is we have to understand what the function of the behavior is before we consider it not functional. Um, you know, for, for real life before we intervene, what, why is the behavior happening? What is the purpose it is serving? And for self-stimulatory, it's some, and again, that's a misnomer. We're talking about automatic reinforcing behaviors. It's things, the paycheck is on the inside. It's an inside job. There's something about doing it that I'm getting a paycheck from. So that's what we're talking about. Um, oh, 
maybe uh, is the question that that's how you stim is scratching your head. Maybe that's, I, I missed that. Thank you, Traven, for clarifying. Okay, moving on. Uh, I do want to get on because we're a little bit late here and we've got this fabulous guest who's been with us before. Dr. Justin Leaf is here with us. He is, I, I got to read this because it's so good. He's the co-director of research and director of training for the Autism Partnership Foundation. He is also a professor at Endicott College. I love Endicott, have been there. Uh, I spent a week there two years ago before the pandemic with my son. We just absolutely loved it. Uh, He has a doctorate degree in behavioral psychology from the Department of Applied Behavior Sciences at the University of Kansas. Um, And uh, he is a brilliant mind, I can tell you that much. And he's got over 100 publications in peer-reviewed journals and books. Uh, He also recently edited a book entitled Handbook of Social Skills, and Autism Spectrum Disorder Assessment Curricula and Intervention. Sounds like a light read. Uh, and has co-authored uh, two other books as well. So this true expert in the house this morning. And we are so thrilled uh, to be talking with him. I did want to mention that um, he has several areas of expertise, but includes in, within those examining methods to improve social behaviors for children and as- adolescents with autism in the area of developing friendships, Uh, and comparing different methodologies, evaluating parameters of reinforcement, and evaluating long-term outcomes for individuals diagnosed with autism. So how amazing is it that we have him here with us? So Dr. Leaf, welcome back to Autism Live. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm I'm hanging in there. It's much better this week than last week. Uh, My wife had COVID, and so she's safe and healthy, and my kids can go with her again. So I'm I'm so glad to be back on. I'm so happy that she's doing well and that you're doing well and that the kids are doing well. Thank, thank goodness for that. But I have, to, to be, I have to say before you get yeah. to my questions, I just want to say I have all my doctoral students come and listen to you speak as part of the course about, <laughs> about, about the uh, jargon of the day or the oh, jargon I love of the that. week so that they learn how to not to speak in jargon. And so oh, I, I love that. I just want to let you know that every semester – 16 uh, doctoral students are coming to listen to you. That's hilarious. I have to ask because uh, one uh, person came up to me a while ago and said that uh, at their college, they they were asked to watch the jargon of the day too. But the way the reinforcer for the students to do that was that they would take bets on how crazy my hair was. Because over (laughs) the 10 years, I've had very crazy uh, hair and that that was what the thing that they enjoyed the most. Do your students take bets on my my hair, Dr. Lee? Uh, I don't think they take bets on on your hair, but I bet you they take bets on other things. Is my guess. Oh, okay. I I I, need, I guess I need to know uh, what those things are. But I find it hilarious because we started jargon of the day so that we could understand you guys, and I and I think it's it's fun that now you guys have taken it as a way back for you to be able to speak to us. It, it all makes sense to me. I'm happy. Um, but I'm really happy to have you on the show because we do talk about ABA here. And you know, I think, Dr. Leaf, that I am a huge fan of good quality ABA done at the right intensity. Uh, I attribute all of my son's success to the fact that we had good ABA at the right intensity. So I, I make no bones about the fact that I am a huge fan of good ABA. Um, but I, I think that it is imperative that parents and caregivers and teachers all have good training and obviously for the people in the field to have good training about how to do good ABA. And you have something right now that is, uh, we've been talking about it here. You have some training that's available online that um, I want you to share with the folks that are watching what it is and how they can access it. Yeah. So about two years ago, February of 2020, right before the pandemic hit us, at least in the United States, uh, we launched a free 40-hour RBT training. And you can get that at autismpartnershipfoundation.org. And there's a like a education or training link. You just click that and you'll, you'll see that uh, link and can access it. So it is free. It was always meant to be free. It was when we had the idea of creating it, we wanted to put out a resource really for uh, young, inspiring behavior analysts that they can get uh, training on 
passing the RBT task list and getting their certification. Uh, what we didn't expect is obviously the pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, we realized really quickly, like we're getting not just people who are interested as becoming RBTs, but we were getting parents. We were getting entire school districts coming to our training and getting it because they couldn't be in person and get training. And so what we thought we might get like 3,000, 4,000 people, we're at like 200,000 people have signed up in two years. And so I think the training, I think it's quality. I'm biased because I know I did the training, but I do think it is quality. And I think it's, I know it's a resource for anyone who's interested about applied behavior analysis as it relates to individuals diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. And so we're proud that this training is available and it will continue to be available for free for the end of time. And I'm proud of you guys because this this is important and, you know, this has always been important, but there is no time that we need this more. And the fact that you've made it free is absolutely incredible. Now, for those of you who don't watch the show on a regular basis and you're scratching your head going RBT, I don't know what RBT is. I'm not even sure I know what ABA is. Uh, <laughs> let's back up, back up the bus just a little bit and uh, talk to us, Dr. Leaf, about what the RBT designation is and what it what it translates to yeah so the rbt is a certification under uh, the bacb the behavior analyst certification board which is one of the leading certification boards in in the world for applied behavior analysis and the rbt was created it stands for registered behavior technician it was created for a direct line staff, those individuals, those professionals that come and work directly with the autistic child or the autistic adolescent, artistic adult. And so to get your RBT, you have to be 18 years of age. You have to have at least a high school diploma. You have to take 40 hours of training, which is what we're providing. You have to take a competency assessment. So actually showing that you can implement certain procedures uh, to a degree of fidelity. And then you have to take a multiple choice exam. And if you pass all of that, then you can become an RBT. And that's important because it's a way to tell parents or school districts that you've, meet, you've met minimum standards and that you're qualified on, on these minimum standards. And so that's the RBT certification. Now, and, and in fact, excuse me for just a second, for instance, if you have a child and let's say that you, uh, your insurance provider is TRICARE because you're military and your child is getting ABA services, your insurance company, TRICARE requires that your therapists have this certification in order for them to pay for it. They say they've got to have that certification or we're not going to pay for the hours. So it becomes really important. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely critical for families and individuals to gain access to needed services. And so yeah. um, it, it's just a- absolutely critical and, and insurance uh, companies across the globe um, are, are requiring it. And so yeah. I, I think that's one reason to get it. I think the, the benefit of what we did and the benefit of any RBT training is that it's just not really meant for those who are wanting that credential or that certification because the areas that are being trained upon could be beneficial for families. They could be beneficial for teachers. They can be beneficial for autistic adults who want to, who want to yes. learn more. Uh, it's just, it's beneficial for everyone because the material is important for everyone. Yeah. But I think one of the things that you guys did is, you know, first of all, by putting it online, you made it accessible to a whole bunch of people who couldn't get to a college classroom um, or to, you know, a county building to to sit for 40 hours because where was their child when that was happening? Um, so putting it online gave some accessibility, but then also making it free, you sort of leveled the playing field and said, we're not going to hold it against you if you can't afford to pay X numbers of dollars. So I applaud you uh, for, for having done the right thing. Uh, I'm sure that it costs you because this is not, you know, these things are, are not free. Um, so I want to talk about that in a second, but what else should be, cause there, it's not the only RBT training that's out there. Um, but what is significant besides those two really important things? What's different about your program? Yeah, I, I think what is different about our program is we endorse, not to get too jargony, we endorse something called progressive ABA. 
and it's and I also want to say not to get political because people have gone on this political rant that I'm progressive and I'm taking a side politically. What we mean by progressive ABA is exactly what you were talking about when you were talking about STEM. It's that we're not taking a cookbook approach. We're not just saying you go into this program and these are what we're doing. You're going to target STEM no matter what. You're going to teach this no matter what. This is how you teach it. We work on flexibility. So you have to be flexible based upon your learner. We work work on clinical judgment. So staff and parents have to use judgment of what to do or what not to do based upon how the child's doing today or based upon what's going on in the child or adolescent or adult's environment. And so I think what's really different about our training compared to the other trainings I've seen or, or have heard of is that we're really helping train on this flexible, compassionate, kind, clinical judgment approach and how that you can do that on all aspects as it's related to behavioral intervention, whether that's being on a certain intervention procedure or working with parents or working with schools or what you're actually teaching. So I think that is the the big difference to me is that we're really training upon that. If you were here and it weren't COVID, I would hug you Um, because this is what we need is that, you know, we need to be talking about these kinds of things, but we need to be training people in these things. So I absolutely love this and I commend you. Um, But I, I'm, I'm told that this is not the only kind of training. This RBT training is not the only training that you have for the community. Can you enlighten us? What else do you have? Yeah. So we also created in April of 2021, uh, an eight hour supervision course. And like the RBT course, it's a free course. So we have 5,000 people that signed up to that and we haven't marketed much in, in this year. Uh, in the last year, but it's for those who are uh, board certified behavior analysts. Those are the supervisors of those RBTs, the ones who help with the programming, the ones that help work with parents, work with schools, uh, help with curriculum. We have created uh, an eight hour course because they need to take eight hours of didactic instruction to learn how to become a supervisor. And so one of my colleagues, uh, Dr. Christine Milne, is the is the one that did that and and it's a great course to learn how to be a good supervisor once again on using uh, clinical flexibility and compassion and, and all that stuff that's needed so that you can provide the best supervision to your staff you can provide the best supervision to the uh, the learners you are fortunate enough to work with and you can work collaboratively with parents and school districts and so we were we decided early on that we want to provide these these resources uh, for free to our community as as a way to I guess give back as a way to as a way to help those who, as you say, can't afford it or don't have the time to to take these um, at a university or a straight forty hour day. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're having to make choices, you know, uh, and saying, okay, do I pay for the special diet? Do I pay for the tutor for this? Do I pay for this? Um, learning the kinds of things that you're talking about, we never want to be that the thing that is the third on the list. So you, you've taken away some of the obstacles. Like I said, I'm, I'm so thrilled. Um, so again, anyone can take these courses. Uh, they don't have to quant- quantify or qualify. They can take them. They can sign up to do them. I know Traven put it in the comments where you guys need to go, but autismpartnership.org. Is that correct? Autismpartnershipfoundation.org. Foundation. Autismpartnershipfoundation.org um, to take either of those courses. Now, um, obviously, if you want to go on to get that RBT, then there's other things that you have to do besides the course. But, but if you're a caregiver, if you're a parent and you're, you're like, I just don't know these things. I always had a sign in our um, kitchen that said, Jem's uh, program is only as strong as the weakest person on the team. And that will not be me. That, that was my mantra as a mother. That He's got a team of people and it's only as strong as the weakest person on the team. And that will not be me, which meant that I needed to get more training than the people that were working with him. If you're on that page as a parent or as a teacher or as a, an aunt or an uncle and you're like, ah, I, Shannon, that resonates with me, then you would want to do this 40 hour training. Um, 
and you will learn from it. You'll go, holy business. I didn't realize that makes so much more sense. So I, I really encourage people to do this and it's free and you can take it on your own time. But talk to us a little bit about what you have seen as a result of people taking that course, Dr. Leaf. Yeah, I, I've seen I've seen, and it's hard to see anything because of COVID and I've been locked down, but, but from what I've seen from emails, I've seen people's lives change for the better. Uh, I'll tell a story of, of one person recently emailed us that they lost their job because of COVID. They were homeless. They were going to the public library to go take this course. And, and they, they took the course, they got their RBT certification, and now they get to go and they found a new job, a new career where they're helping children become the best versions of themselves. And, and so that was for me, eye-opening. I'm seeing more people doing towards a clinical model and towards a, a clinical judgment model where they're not just doing this cookbook recipe like the books behind me, where they're just following it to a T, but where they're actually now thinking about what they should do, what's the best choice they can make in the moment. As I, as I started off about saying doctoral students, I have doctoral uh, people who are interviewing for to become doctoral students saying, we took the RBT, we love this, we're starting to implement this, we're starting to implement this. We think about curriculum differently now. We think about why we should teach things versus just teaching it. So for me, I'm seeing a change in, um, uh, we're, I'm seeing a change in how people are implementing or thinking about ABA. The, the other thing I saw is that, you know, more people are probably sending them to this training. And I think that's a good thing. I want I want people to come to this training because I want people to be quality therapists or understand what quality ABA is all about. Amen to that. We've been sending people for the last couple of months, we've been pushing people, but I didn't know about the supervisor training. Now I'm going to push people to the supervisor training. Uh, some of the questions that we have coming in, um, uh, Alvatina wants to know where to find the course again. Again, you want to go to autismpartnershipfoundation.org. And then you will, there are tabs that you will look for courses. And for this particular one, you'll look for the RBT course, Albatina. Um, but um, we have several people asking, is this a course that someone who is a self-advocate might be interested in? And I can't think of a reason why it wouldn't be a good thing. I think if we could get self-advocates who have concerns about ABA to learn more about what the principles of ABA are, that we would be having a much different conversation. You know, Dr. Leaf, I'm fond of saying now to people, um, you know, ABA is a teaching technique. I understand that that makes some of you experts break out into hives because it's so much more than that. But for me, on a very basic, no jargon level, it's a teaching technique. It's a series of tools that we know are effective, that science has proven are effective. And just like, you know, when you send your child to fourth grade, there are some fourth grade teachers who are amazing and know, know things that other teachers don't know. So, um, you know, I know that there are people who have had negative experience with, with with an ABA provider. I would argue that that is not all of ABA. I'm asking people to take another look and how better to take a look than to understand what the thing actually is. Yeah, Shannon, I can't agree with you more. I think it's it's meant for everybody. If you're part of this autism community, which is autistic individuals, parents, grandparents, caregivers, siblings, therapists, teachers, and you just expand that community out. This is good for you. I think this, I think this is helpful. I think the other aspect that I like about it is we have a lot of videos. I mean, it is boring to hear me talk probably for 40 hours or my colleagues. Like I, I agree. Um, but the videos, I think really highlight what we're talking about. There, there are videos that show exactly when we're talking about a procedure and you see the video of it, I think it resonates to the audience members. Oh, this is how we can implement it. And I, I think that people see differences how they typically are implemented versus how we're implementing it in our training. So I encourage everybody. And I guess the last thing with that is, of course, there's going to be modules because it's like uh, 16 modules. There'll be modules that some people, parents or self-advocates won't care about, like the jargon. There's a whole jargon one, which you need to know to pass your exam. That's not probably the most exciting but maybe social skills groups is something you like, or maybe uh, curriculum is something you like, or working in schools uh, might be something important. So I think 
there's something for everybody in this training. There you go. Julio has a great question. He wants to know what happens if you don't have autism? Are other dis- uh, disabilities able to attend? Uh, great question. Shannon, I think, I think it brings back to your point that uh, the ABA, you know, the teaching techniques are universal. I, when I used to go and present at school districts, I had to show clips of Mr. Holland's opus and the Karate Kid and, and Borat, for example, and show how teaching can help anybody. So I think, yes, it's definitely more autism specific in terms of the curriculum and stuff, but the procedures would be good for anybody who's interested in applied behavior analysis. Yeah. And I think one of the, I think ABA needs a new PR agent, Um, (laughs) you know, because I think there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of misunderstanding that there are many people who think that ABA is just for autism, which is that when I I remember when somebody said to me, oh, no, the field of ABA, more than 50 percent of it has nothing to do with autism, that it's for corporations and, you know, that they use ABA. ABA techniques with Olympic athletes. We were to to go through and see all these people that are about to compete uh, this month uh, in the Olympics. If we were to go through and go, what techniques does your trainer use uh, to get the peak performance out of you? I think we would find across the board, it's ABA, ABA, ABA. Um, So this isn't just used um, for autism. It just happens to be very effective in, in autism. So that's the good news. Um, but you know, as a former teacher, uh, I think when you find teachers who understand the principles of ABA, you find good teachers. So so who can teach anyone, uh, which is amazing. I love Amanda says, uh, that this is, uh, the number one link shared in all of her ABA groups. So look at all the inroads that you're, that you're making there. Um, so again, if you are interested in finding out more information about this, what you need to do is go to autismpartnershipfoundation.org. There's other things on the website for people to, to look at. I encourage you to take a tour around the website, but there, there's a, a place where you can go for courses. And one of them is that RBT. RBT stands for Registered Behavior Technician. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, Dr. Leaf, but you guys usually do a conference as well. In COVID, I know that things have been a little bit different. Are you guys doing a conference this April? We are. We are doing, now this is where you put me on the spot, so I don't have the date in my head. It's the first Friday of April. That would be okay. like seventh or eighth or some, something like that. And we're having, uh, we're having a variety of people uh, come on. We're having Bobby Newman to talk about uh, sexuality in adults with autism. We're having Linda LeBlanc talking about organizations. We're having uh, Taylor coming in to talk about his own experience of being an autistic adult um, and a bunch of others as well coming in to speak. And it's all virtual because we were worried about, you know, COVID and what was going to happen. And we didn't want to put anything, anyone in danger or in harm. So if you go around the Autism Partnership Foundation site and you play around, you'll see a link for that as well. Wonderful. It is on the 8th and the 9th. Um, We have, we have confirmation about that. Um, So um, be looking for that, you guys, um, so that that is something that you can attend as well. And I just really want to thank you for the work that you're doing, Dr. Leaf. I think it's super important. I think you've um, really filled a need in a time when we really, we always needed it. Yeah. And even when COVID is done, we're still going to need it. But you you made sure that this happened in a time when we desperately needed it. Thank thank you. Yeah, it's it's one of the great honors that we've done. I think it's the thing we've had the most impact on. It's just not me. I want to say it's also my colleagues, Joe Sheehan, Christine Milne and Julia Ferguson. We all came together and worked for two weeks tirelessly to put this to make a 40 hour video um, or series of videos. So, yeah. yeah, it's it was it's great. And I'm glad. I'm glad people are getting access to it. Well, remarkable. And, but I, you know, I'm sure that it, it's not easy to have done that and to be doing it so that it's for free because you could monetize it and you could say, I'm going to charge everybody $10 and that that would be no small thing. You've already said you've got, you know, thousands of people using it. So is there a way that we can support your organization for having done that for free? Is there a place where people can donate is, you know, what, yeah. what's the deal? Yeah. Uh, 
first of all, don't feel the need to donate. We understand people can't, but if you can donate autism on the same link, there's a, there's a donate button. You just donate. I think it goes through like classy.org and you donate whatever, whatever you want. It supports this training. It supports other eight hour trainings it, uh, that we gave. It'll support future trainings that we try to get for free, but it's absolutely, we're not expecting it. Uh, if you donate somewhere, we would be very thankful uh, to do it um, because it helps on all our endeavors. But it's scary. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, but, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't harm it to put it out there because it is not easy to put things out that are free in this way. Um, so we commend you and uh, we're so glad that you're on the, on our team and fighting hard to do what's right. Uh, yeah. I just lost an earbud. There we go. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to make the earbuds work and it doesn't, it's not, it's not great for me. I lose one by the end of the show. Uh, but Dr. Leaf, thank you so much. Please give uh, all our love to everyone there. And we'll look forward to hearing more about the conference as it gets closer. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for promoting this training. I think it will help the autism community in great ways and, or continue to help in great ways. Well, we're always about connecting people to resources here. And, um, you know, we frequently, it's one of those things where something will happen, somebody will send in a question, and one of the many experts that we have on the show uh, will we'll start to give an explanation. And you could hear uh, or see the light go off in the caregiver's head. They're like, oh my gosh, you mean you know how you, you have techniques to be able to deal with tantrums? You know, I, I wish that all of you understood that for us as as parents, that's news to us. The first time that I had a conversation with uh, an expert who was like, oh, yeah, the potty training thing, we totally, we've cracked the code on that. We pretty much, you know, it takes a little bit different and it's, it, you know, it's not a one size fits all, but we can pretty much potty train everyone uh, without it being disruptive or hysterical or, you know, it's it's pretty doable. I remember feeling like, what? Like, why wasn't that on the news? Like, why didn't they announce that you guys have answers for certain behavioral things that are not hard and that help our kids to be able to be who they want to be? And um, so to be able to have access to some of that information, I certainly felt closed out of it when my son was first diagnosed. I was like, where do I go? Who can teach me this? Teach me everything you know. And the fact that it's available and somebody could access it in two o'clock in the morning if they wanted to, it's its a really special, Dr. Leaf. I, I really applaud you. I'm, I'm so grateful um, that we can refer people um, and tell them to go do it. And the fact that it's free makes it so much easier. Takes yeah. the roadblock out. Well, so thanks. amen. Keep on plugging on. Stay safe. I'm glad your wife is feeling better. Everybody stay healthy. Thank you, Shannon. And thank you for having me. And if anyone needs to contact me, uh, you can see it through autismpartnershipfoundation.org and my contact information as well. All right. Will you promise to come back on sometime and, and we'll talk, you know, we'll still talk about this, but we'll talk about other things in addition to this. Shannon, you, you invite me and I will always come on whenever you, whenever you would like. All right. Well, I'll be calling you. All right. You have a lovely day. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, so wonderful. You know what I love about doing this is that sometimes um, I know that when when my son was little and he was first diagnosed, I felt like I was on the surface of Mars by myself and that there was nobody in it with me and that there was nobody who cared. I really felt that way. And I know that sometimes you guys write in and tell me that it feels like that for you on some days. And then as I started to find people and things and people like Dr. Leaf and, and, you know, so many other people, I began to realize, oh my goodness, there are amazing people who care so deeply about my family and about my son and how I'm going to be able to do this, this, and this with my son. And they are working someplace tirelessly to be able to help us. And I didn't even know they were there. And I always say to it, it's that, you know, you're in lots of people's arms and sometimes you don't know whose arms you are in. And before today, you might not have known that you were in Dr. Leaf's arms. 
um, and that he and other people are working so hard to be able to help you and to be able to help your 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 kids, your teens, your adult children to be able to do the things that they want to do. And I hope that on the day when you get a no from someone or someone at school minimizes what your child needs or the, on those days when it feels like no one cares, that you will remember that that isn't the truth, that there are people who care. There are people who are working hard to be able to give you what you need to be successful and to give you, if you're a parent, to give you what your child needs and what you need to be able to help your child to be successful. They are there. And part of what we try to do here on Autism Live is bring them and their resources to your attention so that if you want you can take advantage of it. Now, I do want to address that Parker said, see, I got a little emotional. Uh, I can't lose the last earbud, for heaven's sake. Uh, I'm a mess. I'm a hot mess. Um, One of the things that Parker said is that there are so many self-advocates who are anti-ABA. And what can we say to them? And I, you know, here's where I come from, Parker, is that I believe that everybody has a right to their own opinion. And I believe that everybody has a right to their, their truth. And I believe that everybody has a right to express their truth. So when a self-advocate tells me that they don't like ABA, I want to hear what their experience is with ABA. Um, and, and, I, and I in no way want to naysay that. I, I don't want to, you know, but I want to put it in the context that if you announce to someone and said, um, hey, I'm getting married. And there, you're going to find somebody in the room who's going to say, oh, you know, well, I, I got divorced. Uh, marriage was not good. Marriage was not good for me. Or they might say, you know, oh, well, definitely don't do it at this venue because I had a terrible time at that venue. But we wouldn't paint the entire thing and go, well, marriage is bad. We, and we, nor would we try to say to the person, uh, well, your experience of mar- marriage is not based in reality. We, we wouldn't do that. We would say that this is someone's experience, um, but we wouldn't, based on their experience, decide, well, we're just not going to do it because everybody's experience is something different. I, I think the sad thing is that parents become afraid to do ABA. They become afraid that they're doing something that is not um, kind with their child. Um, I think that's the real concern is that uh, if somebody listens to a self-advocate, then they won't want to do ABA. And I'm saying there's something in the middle. Let's hear their stories. Let's talk about it. And let's, you know, let's improve ABA when it needs to be improved. It's not like they can't improve ABA. And there are some people who are doing ABA who are not doing it empathetically. And they, they should have their minds changed. So we need to be fostering the conversation and not shutting the conversation down. But I also, on the other side, don't want parents to just go, oh, okay, then I'm not going to do ABA. Um, we, we need to be taking a much different uh, look at it. Does that all make sense? Does everybody see where I'm coming from? And my experience of ABA was great, was great. And, and what we got from ABA was I'll never, ever be able to be anything other than grateful to everyone who participated in it. It was beyond my wildest dream. Uh, Every day, every moment that we live in this life and I see my son do things, I go, my God, we were told he would never be able to do that. That wasn't even on my wish list and he can do that. And I know that it was because we got that good quality ABA. I'm never going to stop talking about that, but I never am going to say to somebody, oh, you don't have a right to have your experience with ABA. So, um, you know, I think there's room for all of it is basically what I'm saying. We're out of time, but let me, let me say this, that on tomorrow's show, we've got an amazing mom and filmmaker. Vena Tierro is going to be joining us for Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. That is happening on Thursday mornings. Uh, and Vena, is, she is the filmmaker behind My Tierro Boys. She has two boys on the autism spectrum who are 
you know, on opposite ends of the spectrum, to, to put it frankly. Uh, they couldn't be more different, and yet they are both so completely lovely. Uh, and Vena has not had an easy time of it on, on any planet. Um, and she's got the second in her series of documentaries that she's finishing up. So we're going to be talking with her about that uh, and ever so much more. One of her sons has, uh, is, is placed in a home. And, and we'll have her talk about that. The other one is in college. And we'll have her talk about how she parents and continues to parent the one who is living in an assisted living uh, situation and what that has been like through COVID. So there'll be so much to talk about. Uh, and Vena has taken to the stage and is doing stand-up comedy. She's now, you'll have the opportunity to hear from her where you can watch her do stand-up. She's pretty hilarious. So there you go. It's like the full gamut. So we'll be talking with Vena Tiro tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.